I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hope everybody's doing well today. I want to welcome comedian Lee Camp to the Unimpressed podcast. He hosts a show called Redacted, which is getting a lot of attention today. And welcome to the show, Lee Camp. How are you doing? Thanks. Uh, Redacted tonight. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. Redacted tonight. Lee host and that network is it's on RT America it's also on YouTube been doing it for seven years now and unlike a lot of other political comedy shows not that they're not excellent I write all my own stuff nice so you must be pretty busy so how many shows do you do a week I have two TV shows a week one is more of an interview show and then there's the main one the main redacted tonight total it's two a week and then I do a bunch of live streams and I also write for various outlets and stuff but the main TV show is two a week so what's been going on in your life you know, running a TV show and hosting a TV show. How is this working out during this pandemic? It's been a little weird because when I set up and started the TV show, I insisted with the network that I have a live audience because it impacts it. Obviously, I've, I've been doing stand up comedy for 20 odd years and very much wanted a live audience. So I fought with them on that and finally got a live audience. And we did it with, for many years, whatever, uh, six years, I guess, with a live audience. And then the pandemic came along and now I have to do it without a live audience. So that's less fun. Fun, but I don't think it's hurt the show that much. The show is as uh, high quality as we've always been doing. But of course, I still miss the energy. I miss the energy of touring. I love doing that, playing theaters around the country. And so I hope that comes back one day. I hope uh, <laughs> I hope we get back to that level at some point. Other than that, uh, you know, I, I realize I'm very lucky. A lot of people are suffering out there in tremendous ways. So the fact that I get to continue. Your show's about comedy and, and politics. What vein do you look for, for information on how you want to produce a show? As the name hints at redacted tonight we're kind of the we try and be the covered up and i say we because we i also have a few three correspondents natalie mcgill anders lee and naomi caravani that do other segments we we look for the issues that either aren't being covered at all by your mainstream corporate media there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
or we look for issues that they are covering, but they're getting wrong. So we're trying to give people the other side of things. Lucky for me, but bad for America and perhaps humanity. It's easy to find stories that are either being <laughs> ignored or covered incorrectly, often intentionally. And we try to stick down that path. And to me, that's what makes it feel important. I would feel pretty gross if I was spending every episode just talking about the same thing that everybody else was. Since the change of power and so forth in the White House, have you seen a decline in information or stories? No, we, I mean, our, our show, luckily, our, our fans continue to watch us. I know that mainstream media is suffering immensely. The combination of, you know, Trump is a showman, a carnival barker, and Biden's a more ver- boring version of a carnival barker. So I know that they're percentage, uh, you know, their their watch rates on mainstream media have, have dropped, you know, 30, 40%. So they're suffering because the show of reality is not as interesting as it once was. We go a lot deeper than that. And so the actual issues beneath those things have not changed in America, around the world. Most of the way that the American government functions has not really changed much. So for us, it hasn't been that troublesome. But I know that mainstream media, which focused and specialized in the Trump show, is suffering immensely. I always say that comedians have a a very high intelligence, right? But I say jokingly that when you put the word comedian in front of your name, you become the most proficient political entrepreneur there is in the history of mankind. You know what I'm saying? How does that resonate with you? That's true in the sense that Comedians are quite good at and perhaps focus on kind of cutting to the quick. So we're, we're good at getting through the bullshit. That's what often makes us different than your average journalism, your average corporate media. We're, we don't suffer fools lightly. And I think that the good comedians are, are quite good at that. You know, even comedians that people don't necessarily point to as political comedians, you know, like someone like Chris Rock comes to mind. Very good at taking an issue that everybody's been squabbling over in a hundred different ways and cutting it all down to two minutes that just seems to bring brilliantly sum up what people really mean, what they're really saying when they're not saying it, you know? When they do cut these things down, whatever the topic may be, it seems like people have stopped laughing. You know, I think 10, 20 years ago, people could laugh at each other. Why can't we laugh anymore? I mean, issues have always been serious, but they're getting more serious. And I I think that that can often take the humor out of something. You you know, inequality has gotten far greater than it was even just back in the 80s. Uh, You know, we're now to the point that the Gini coefficient in this country is equivalent. It's worse than what it was in ancient Rome just before its collapse. You have people struggling in pretty terrible ways. And so I think it's tougher for people to find the humor in that. Now, my humor always specializes, I, at least I try, in punching up, punching at the powerful rather than punching down at those who are exploited or those who are attacked. And so to me, there's still plenty of comedy in that as long as you're punching the powerful that need to be punched. So in that way, I do think there's comedy. And, you know, I'll let people who haven't seen it check out Redacted Tonight and see if they can find it funny. I certainly know a lot of people can. You know, although I don't think there's any topic that should be off limits, I don't think anyone can say this topic can never be involved in comedy. I do think that if it's a comedian who's regularly punching down or a show that's regularly punching down, to me, that often loses its humor. But who knows? Maybe someone finds it funny. Do you think more people try to make fun of other people instead of making fun of themselves? Because I think when you make fun of yourself, you can get away with a lot more. But it seems like people are not making fun of themselves lately. I don't Does that make any sense? I don't know. I mean, I make fun of myself in my show. Uh, I think that that's kind of important that you don't act like you're above it all. I don't know if that's necessarily changed now. I mean, I, I think that probably the, the ruling elite, the oligarchs going back 100 years probably didn't love being made fun of. When I talked about the intelligence of comedians, they were celebrated 
more, say 10, 15 years ago, and they were used as a bigger voice. It don't seem like, you know, media is using comedians and celebrating their identity as much in today's time. Does that seem like something's different to you? And from in the past, like you would see like a, you know, a Steve Martin on a show and they would be using his voice for an idea, whatever it was at the time. I think what you're hinting at is has to do with the, the speed of our culture. Our culture has sped up and been separated into a thousand shards, whereas it used to be, you know, three TV channels or before that, only a handful of radio stations. And these comedians would gain fame that it would be such an immense level of fame that it's kind of hard to comprehend because there were only three channels. So if you were the hit on the main channel, then you were the hit of all of America. Now we've all separated into our kind of filter bubbles. Maybe it has some some negatives in that we can't share our culture as easily. And, you know, we can't just walk up and say, hey, how about that thing last night on that sitcom? And people, it's harder and harder to do that. On the positive side of it, the only type of comedians that would gain that level of fame, you know, to be a hit on one of the three channels was to be approved by the corporate America 100%. You weren't saying things that could get in the way of that career or you were pushed aside. Nowadays, you can. Nowadays, there are more comedians, but really more performative performers or talking heads of all stripes. There is more success for comedians that aren't, you know, just perfect for NBC primetime, family time or whatever they call it. I think that's a good take. I mean, what do you think about managing yourself better as a comedian and playing by the rules somewhat? Or do you think the one outside that box is the one who's going to be, you know, recognized in 20 years? I have chosen to almost never kind of self-censor myself and be within the acceptable corporate box. And weirdly, it landed me a TV show, but that was not the goal. There were many years when I was a comedian in New York and I couldn't get on, you know, Comedy Central and everything that I kind of figured, oh, well, this is this is a terrible career choice, but this is what I need to be talking about. It was a personal choice about the influence I felt I had with my voice and I wasn't going to back down from that. So in a way, I, I would say in that case fuck it go all out talk about these <laughs> things don't give in on the other hand you know if it has to do with like you know one sentence uh, uh, offends people immensely and if i cut out that one sentence then i can make the same point without offending so many people that's kind of a different style of uh, a different category of self-censorship that may be required for for some people if they have a certain type of comedy i also want to draw a clear distinction between some comedians claim they're they're so oppressed because People get upset with their comedy and they may specialize in kind of a shock offensive to some style of comedy. People have a right to be offended at a comedian if they're saying offensive stuff. And that doesn't mean that I think they shouldn't have the right to say it. That's yeah. different than being like truly oppressed. And I feel like that differentiation is not talked about enough. There's no nuance in this discussion. Anything that you look back on your career that you would approach the topic differently that may have caused you some issues I think times do change and our speech patterns change and different things become offensive in a way that I never would have considered them offensive. And the thing that comes to mind is I think along with all comedians that I knew at the time, I definitely had many fat jokes in my, uh, not like, not like full on five minute fat bit, but like, 
a throwaway line there, a throwaway line there. It's not that you can't tell those, but I do think that if I went back and listened to my album from uh, 2000 and whatever, eight or something, I'd probably be like, there's a couple too many lines about how horrible it is to be fat or something. <laughs> like, it wasn't like I was thinking, oh, I'm going to write a whole bit about how terrible fat people are. It was just such a common thing back then that, you you know, you'd have a few at an hour set, you had one or two lines about how fat Americans are or whatever. It's not that I feel those things should be banned or stopped or anything. It's that it rubs people differently than it did 12 or 13 years ago. When I'm writing my stuff, I'm not like trying to piss off people that I'm trying to piss off the power elite. I'm trying to piss off the oligarchs. I'm trying to piss off the corporations that are exploiting average Americans every day. That's who I want to piss off. If I'm just pissing off everybody who's a little chubby in the audience, <laughs> then I've failed at my goal. What do you think about some of these legends who've come out and said that PC culture is ruining comedy? I think there can be some truth to that. If you're performing to a crowd, let's say, and you have one offensive line and then all these people get up and walk out, to me, that's kind of PC culture run amok. But their right to be offended is not the problem. Like they can be offended at that line, but I would like for them to sit through the hour and decide if they if that line is really worth walking out and being furious. I also think that the, the whole idea of canceling someone, like literally getting Twitter to take down their account or getting a channel to cancel the show. I think that has to be real extenuating circumstances. I mean, that has to be that the person is proven to really be fucked up in their either thoughts or behaviors on a level that is beyond what we're often canceling people for now. People should not have their Twitter account taken down because they said one sentence you disagreed with or they said a joke and you didn't take it as a joke. That type of thing is way too much. And it's actually covering for true abuse. It's like we're focusing our anger and our ire on this person who said this this way or this person who said this this way, rather than focusing that anger and that ire on those who are truthfully exploiting our systems and our society. I mean, Jeff Bezos is allowing people to collapse dead on his warehouse floors so he doesn't have to pay them more or give them health care. I mean, that's where our anger should be directed, not towards the person who said a sentence that you felt sounded wrong. To me, that that shows a misdirection of anger in, in our society. Well, you talk about Jeff Bezos and you talk about limiting people's speech and so forth. Hasn't the swipe left culture reached the highest level it could possibly reach? Does that really show any respect or value in society to our kids today? You mean how we just absorb something for three seconds and decide if we love it or hate it? Well, that's what I'm saying. We, it's kind of like the swipe left. We don't like this. We're going to take this account down at the highest level. That's just, that's basically the same thought process. It's, if we don't like it, we're just going to take it down. So what does that teach our kids? you know, at the highest yeah. level. It's a serious problem. And I've been working with people to create alternatives to these platforms, Twitter, uh, etc., because we are so suppressed. I mean, I've been basically shadow banned on Facebook for the past four or five years. In 2016, I was gaining roughly 5,000 followers a week. And since 2016, I never gain any. They've basically just forbid me from growing. And we see this type of stuff on a lot of platforms now. That, well, the big ones, YouTube is demonetized monetizing the person that co-hosts my podcast with me, Government Secrets. He just had his YouTube page demonetized, not for saying racist stuff or something like that, but for just 
talking about redacted stories, covered up stories, discussing the assassination of JFK, like those type of things get you demonetized. It hurt. It's going, it's hurting his career. I, I think that's truly fucked up. And so I've been a big supporter of building up alternatives. One that is not available yet is called Panquake. There'll be a Twitter competitive that's on a blockchain that can't be censored. I mean, it can be censored if someone put up like kitty porn or something, but there's no censorship. There's no ruling elite who just push a button and delete someone's channel. That's not possible on their platform. And I think that's an important step that we need to get to because we're getting to a point where you really can't question what's being fed to you on your corporate airwaves. And it makes sense that these corporate airwaves are meant to serve the corporate state. So they are going to give the side of the story that is most beneficial to corporate America. They are owned by large corporations, whether it's, you know, McDonald's or weapons contractors, and they're going to feed into that status quo. If you're outside of that, you will be suppressed and eliminated from these platforms. So we we definitely have to build up the alternative. I wonder if broadcasters got jobs like the military. Instead of hiring a creative off the street, I wonder if the news people were military people and there was no bias or unbiased situation and they said what it is. Tom Brokaw, special report, right, in the middle of a TV show. You know, those special reports are probably pretty much dead on. Think about that one special report taking a personality. They can talk about 20 special reports that has no opinion. Do you think we could ever have that type of news agency? Well, I don't think we really ever had unbiased news. I mean, news is by definition the act of deciding what's important, what's not, and often giving an angle, you know, which way is the camera pointing. We never saw a news report that I know of during Vietnam. It was before I was alive, but as far as I know, there weren't news reports about innocent Vietnamese killed from our bombings. We know that innocent Vietnamese were killed from our bombings, but you're not getting that report. We do need people to become more media literate, and this goes back to education. If as a little kid, you are taught, hey, when you read something, then look into where they got their information and what they're drawing on. And don't just trust that, you know, Wolf Blitzer is giving you the truth. If people thought that and looked further, then you'd see a different understanding of what's being reported in the world around us. We hired a guy from Dipley. He was with the founders of Dipley and they were a very fast growing company in Canada. Then, you know, you take the personality and obviously that personality is going to have opinion. But then when you throw in the producing and the monetary aspect, right? And what I'm getting to is how Dipley used to do articles. They were bigger, I think, rank higher than Huffington Post at one time or whatever. They would find a photo relates to the story and then they would craft their story based on the photo. You know what I'm saying? The visual was the very, very first thing because they want you to click on that visual and then they're crafting backwards from photo to story. And I don't think a lot of people realize that out there in the world today. What do you think about that scenario? Well, yeah, I know they also have, uh, you know, bots and algorithms that'll that'll put up a story with multiple different headlines. And once they've decided which one achieves the most results, they'll put up that headline. But that doesn't mean it's the most accurate headline. It could be way off, but it got the most clicks. So that's the one they go with. And, you know, it's a major problem. And this is absolutely the wrong way to go. This is allowing the the people who have always ruled our country are now, you know, trying to shut up any thought or any discussion that might hurt their ability to continue to rule over and manufacture consent for the wars overseas or our economic sanctions on countries or our propaganda on countries. So they're using the guise of fake news cynically to actually put forward more garbage and more what is literally fake news. Do you think that's an emotional 
emotional thing? I mean, have we started reacting on emotions? Because, you know, right is right. Wrong is wrong. So do you think that we are kind of letting emotions get into the equation in a me, me, me type of situation, get into the equation when these decisions are being made? You can have an opinion if you have all the information. Because I think 90% of the people out there don't have all the information, but they still have an opinion. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. Is you know, education is at the heart of a lot of this. People make decisions or make opinions uh, based on uh, a tiny percentage of the information, and a lot of them are in a filter bubble. I mean, the algorithm has decided what they like, and it's showing them more of what they like, and not ever showing them things outside of their filter bubble. So we end up becoming a very detached society that has trouble communicating with each other. We're living in almost different worlds in a lot of ways because I have no idea idea, the news you're watching that's telling you that uh, everything I see is incorrect and I'm watching news that's saying everything you see is incorrect. And it, it really is harmful to create these these filter bubbles like this, which makes people react emotionally, not react on logic. You know, our society needs to go through a grand transformational change in order to continue to exist on this planet. Outside of just climate change, you have environmental destruction that is unrelated to climate change, such as the plastics in the ocean. 50% of all wildlife has gone extinct over the past 40 years. And so we need a grand transition to a sustainable future that we can keep living on this planet. And the only way you're going to get there is if we can agree on some form of logic and base facts. And we try very hard not to go off of some sort of biased view of the world. You look at the data. Did this solve the problem we're trying to solve or not? I think that's where we need to head because this idea of just each of us screaming at each other based on something that made us angry based on 10% of the information is a is a real problem. If you get into an argument with somebody, we are defining humans based on their political position. First of all, why are we doing that? You know, when you're in that argument, your first thought process is because it's top of mind, you see it every day. Here's my argument about this. And it's kind of in the middle and they're not really thinking about what they're discussing. I think you're absolutely right because we judge people so instantly, you know, oh, you're a Democrat. Oh, you're a Republican. We don't get to know the person. We don't find out what their history is. If you refuse to give those labels, you know, if people say, what are, what are you? And you say, well, I don't, I don't go for isms. I believe what I believe on the individual basis of the topic at hand. It upsets people. You know, they, they want to be able to define you. They, I, I want to brand you on your forehead with a big D for Democrat. I don't want to yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get to know you as an individual. And then you can argue with them. I'm not saying don't argue with people or, or try and change their mind. I'm just saying we're, we're defining people based on a tiny amount of information. This became a, an angry conversation for some reason, which I don't get. I just think people got to take a step back and understand what's really, really going on. And if people in politics would start thinking about the kids, I, always, I think I say this every show. Talk about the kids, you know, where they're going to school, what's their curriculum, where they're growing up, what they're eating every day, because all these are things that dilutes who they become in life. And if they're a lot of bad dilution, it's only going to make problems worse. But if we improve that and make a better situation for younger people, I think that's where things maybe could, you know, change one day. That goes for so many things. It goes for understanding your media and having coming with a skeptical eye to mainstream media or other media as well. And it 
comes with things like the environment. Like you teach a kid, hey, we live in this neighborhood. If this neighborhood continues to have trees and birds and insects, then we'll be able to live here. But if we kill all those things, then we're not going to be able to live here. You teach that kid that throughout life, that'll be a factor in his judgment on issues. But if you never give the kid the information about how environment works and that we're a part of the environment and that we need the environment, then they'll grow up thinking it doesn't matter. Are you a very spiritual person? I know you mentioned the animals and so forth. What's your daily life like? I don't know. I do, I do my best to care for the environment and things, but you know, I'm as guilty as anyone of living in a city. I'm living in an apartment in, a, in Washington, D.C. And so it's not like I'm uh, living in the woods and uh, tending to the crops, but do my best to, to care about the environment. But it's not that any of these things do I believe people need to like strictly like, no, you ever have a, you know, a piece of cheese, then you've killed the world. It's more that I think we can't do it at the rate we're doing it. The latest stats that where they were bragging about, the, the chicken council was bragging about, was that uh, 1.4 billion wings were eaten during the Super Bowl, which means 700 million chickens just during the Super Bowl. I, it's not that I'm saying that nobody should eat meat, but I think we're overdoing it. I, th- I think we can't sustain at that level of meat eating considering the environmental cost. So it really is about talking about let's, let's cut back a little bit. That's more important to have that conversation about factory farming and stuff like that than it is to be like, no, I do it this way. And anybody who does it even slightly different is dead to me. Uh, I'm I'm not really that kind of person. My family, my wife, she's vegetarian. Yeah. I do eat chicken, but it's organic chicken. OK, I, I think factory factory farms are the real problem there. It's it's not organic. It's not healthy. It's uh, it's destroying the environment. It's causing ocean dead zones. It's causing climate change. It's just on every level, they're so terrible and we can could get rid of those and still have you know, meat for people. That is interesting to mention that because, you know, if you think about all the craziness that's been in politics, nothing's ever really talked about food. I mean, the farming's talked about, but what humans are consuming, this never addressed much. I mean, big ag is so powerful. They fund candidates on both sides and nobody wants to go against them. And on top of that, they voted, they're just afraid. A lot of the candidates are afraid of alienating voters. I mean, you know, why alienate the the heavy meat eaters? So you end up with issues that no candidate wants to touch, which is a real problem. And I do believe in circumstance, you take an Eskimo, right? Eskimo had to eat fish to survive. I mean, in those situations, that's a little different. So to like jam down an Eskimo's throat to be vegetarian, I don't think that's a smart idea because that's they, it's not like they could grow plants that much where they were at. So yeah, no, no, they're absolutely there. Are, there are cultures where it's their only way of surviving, and I, I have no problem with that. I was talking about the vaccine. You approach things and all right, here's this group over here, because I think we generalize everything too much, right? I think it's going back to doing a little more groundwork, finding out more information. This age range over here with the vaccine, this potentially could happen in this age range if you have this type of blood, if you set things up properly, right? A politician would set things up with foods. Hey, we know the Eskimos, they have to live this way. We know these types of people have to live this way. Where's a better management system? to help humanity instead of laying down the gauntlet with these ideas and these philosophies, I think, until you do a lot of work, 
It's not going to be perceived the way it should be perceived. Take some analysis, take some reading. Not everybody wants to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In D.C., you wife, kids? Yeah, I have, a, I have a partner, but no kids. You were in New York, and then you, you've been in D.C. How long now doing this show? Seven years the show's been going. What do you see yourself doing in the next five years? Keep doing the show. Hopefully get the live, live audience back in there. Hopefully get back to touring. I have a book out, and I'm hoping I'm working on another book. This past book is called Bullet Points and Punchlines. Keep doing live stream stuff. But, yeah, so really it's, it's more of the same. But, obviously, I'd love to get more of the, the live audience back into it. When you do a comedy tour, where's your best parts of the country? Obviously, New York City. Canada's not bad. I, I do the Midwest, California. I mean, those are the main places. Play Texas, fair amount. How many uh, comedy shows were you doing before the pandemic? Probably twice a month, once to twice a month to, uh, to a city. And do you compare yourself to other John Stewart? Is there someone you compare yourself to? You're kind of looked up to with what you do? I mean, well, I look up to pl plenty of people. People definitely say that the show, I mean, the show was heavily influenced by The Daily Show, so it definitely has some Daily Show look to it. Some people say it's somewhat similar to John Oliver's show. But, you know, in terms of the comedians that I looked up to the most coming up, some of them over my shoulder here, Bill Hicks, George Carlin, Dick Gregory, Stan Hope's obviously amazing, Chris Rock I mentioned, a lot of, lot, lot of impressive comedians. Dennis Miller, I used to love his like 1980s, 1990s albums and uh, he he now has a show on the same network. So. Stan Hope, I saw in Nashville one time. You don't see him out that much. What's he doing these days? You follow him much? Is he still touring around? We chatted for a second on Twitter. I think he's not touring during the pandemic, but before the pandemic, I think he was still touring. Maybe he's decreased the number of shows. I know he used to, he used to be going endlessly, so maybe he's cut that back a little bit. Is there anything else out there we hadn't talked about that you might want to mention or plug before we jump off? I also have a couple of podcasts. Uh, one's called Common Censored, uh, also hitting at the Underground News with Eleanor Goldfield. And then the other one is specifically about those things our government won't tell us. We don't go with the alien stuff. This is more uh, stuff that can be documented that we can point to this, the source material and, and show everybody that we're not making it up. And it's called Government Secrets. It's with Graham Elwood, another well-known comedian. Each of those once a week. We just finished a four-part series on the JFK assassination. Nice. If you haven't seen the show, Redacted Tonight with Lee Camp. It's on the RT America Network. Everybody check that out. It was good having you on the show. I appreciate you coming on the Unimpressed Podcast. Lee Camp, ladies and gentlemen, this is John Edmonds Cosma. I'm the CEO of Bang Productions. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.